Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tap Calf Transmissions. My name is Justin, joined as always by someone who I would consider to be a dear, dear friend, YouTube chat, and also Corey, who's okay as well. How are you doing, Corey? You having a good day? I was. Till I came in and just, just ended you. Till you came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> So today we are covering our first Star Wars canon book. I believe we haven't covered anything canon related, have we? Besides for the movies, uh, and yeah. Besides Tross season seven, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. We've like we've mentioned a bit of Thrawn, like it's mm -hmm. come up a few times the new Thrawn books, but yeah. uh, we've never done a full in depth book like we're going to be doing today. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll. So today we are covering Alphabet Squadron, which is. Pretty appropriate for this podcast because we've now done, what, eight Rogue Squadron novels, so it's going to be interesting to make those comparisons. Um, and then next week we are doing uh, just a cover. We're just talking about Star Wars TV generally, aren't we? Yeah, so for the next couple of weeks, the episode plans we have are we've got Alphabet Squadron tonight. Uh, next week we are going to be doing a general discussion of Star Wars TV shows, uh, covering a little bit of what we talked about last time with the Clone Wars uh, but also what we want to see going forward. Some talk about shows that have already been announced, shows that have been rumored. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you have any questions for that, you can send that to tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com. And mm -hmm. then the following week, we will be doing Alphabet Squadron 2, which just came out and uh, has our guests been confirmed. Yep. So yeah, we'll so be joined we by be... Alex from Star Wars Explained. Yep. So that'll be fun. Alex also joined us for, I think, Wraith Squadron, maybe? Yes, he was there um, for Wraith Squadron. When the, when the power went out. <laughs> and yeah, then we recorded it off stream. Yeah. And we've gotten so much more professional since then, as you can tell from the 15 minutes of, uh, of audio issues that we've had. Yeah. So let's just... Is there any Star Wars news or anything you want to talk about before that? We do have a new show announced, I guess, but we'll probably cover that next week. Yeah, so next week with the show discussion, we will be talking about The Bad Batch, which was announced, uh, mm -hmm. I think, was that Monday? Monday-ish. Yeah, uh, Monday. But yeah, so we've got, we'll talk about that next time. Uh, I don't know that there's other news that that's that major to talk about, but do you want to talk about the non-news that has become somehow more persistent than usual which non-news exactly we get like three different things a week are you talking about the uh the resetting star wars thing the yeah the just the absurd amount of clickbait nonsense that's come out in the last couple of weeks especially about uh the two biggest ones have been the thing about uh disney is resetting the sequels which mm -hmm. they're not and there's no reason to think they are and yeah. then that there's a George Lucas cut of episode nine. It's like, yeah, just... I mean, I, I did a video on the former and it, it's pretty simple. Like, obviously, the, the one source is a guy named Doomcock and like no hate on the guy, but he's, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, like, I've heard people claim that he leaked some stuff for the Rise of Skywalker previously, but everything leaked for episode nine was leaked first by a couple of sources, one of them being a Reddit uh, a moderator named Jedi Paxis and then making Star Wars. Those were the two big ones. Um, they they covered basically the whole thing. And maybe he does have some somebody who he believes is a source, but the idea that they're going to retcon the sequels alone is ridiculous, um, even if a lot of people don't like them. And I certainly have issues with a lot of them, especially the most recent one. They have made a lot of money. And the idea that they would use 
a plot device from Star Wars Rebels to retcon the sequels is like in in the law we'd call that patently unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just um, try to t- like don't believe everything you read on the internet as Abraham mm-hmm. Lincoln said and I don't know, like whatever your opinions are on canon or the sequel trilogy, try to take what yeah. you hear with a grain of salt and consider the source or lack thereof. And w- one of the big things that people always bring up is that the sequels didn't make very much money, which is just not true. Um, like I-, I talked about this in the video that I made on it, but if you, if you follow box office, like metrics, um, the box office for episode seven is one of the most remarkable runs domestically that any movie has ever had. Um, like episode seven probably made Disney beyond their wildest dreams and money. Um, and then episode eight and nine were obviously decline as is pretty standard with star Wars movies. Um, but like they were each billion dollar movies. I don't think there's really a universe where you can call $3 billion movies in 2020 disappointment. Yeah. Um, like if you take the box office performance of each movie within each trilogy and kind of compare the percentage increase or decrease, uh, it was it's pretty similar uh, mm-hmm. related to their initial releases. So mm-hmm. there's usually within 10% of... Uh, so like, I think Rise of Skywalker what, made 60% of what mm-hmm. uh, episodes yeah, what been Force Awakens that. did. And then yeah. compared to like 69% for Phantom Menace compared to mm-hmm. uh, episode four. So right. like it, it's not the the error bars there are not that big. Yeah, and like with with all of the movies too, the first ones like A New Hope, uh, Empire, sorry, I almost said Empire Strikes Back, A New Hope, The Phantom Menace, they've all been really spectacular like box office successes that just aren't really like they're not going to be replicated with the sequel no matter how good it is. Like even with Empire Strikes Back, um, so yeah, yeah, think, and they're like, like, like I think, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say another thing, too, is people say, oh, well, Disney didn't make back its $4 billion investment. Like, first of all, when you buy a property or anything for $4 billion, and this is the, this is the, the, probably the dumbest argument that I hear and definitely comes from people who have no idea what they're talking about. When you buy some sort of entertainment property like Star Wars, which has been around for 40 years, you don't expect to get it back in five years. You buy that property for the next 40 years. So the fact that they've come close or perhaps already gotten that $4 billion back and are now playing with free money, like that's really impressive alone. And saying, well, they haven't made their $4 billion back is a really dumb argument because you don't buy something for 10 years or five years. You buy it for 50 years plus. So it, it's all about context and yeah. really like I, I, I don't like the like I don't like the rise of Skywalker very much. And I have a lot of problems with episode eight. But they've put so much money into marketing. They put like there are kids that love these characters, and fan fanboys on the internet not liking a movie is not a good enough um, reason to decanonize it. Yeah, and like the same responses can be seen with previous movies in the franchise. Like when Episode Five came out, the director working on Episode Six says it said it ruined George's vision. There was a lot of backlash to Episode Five, but now it's one of the most loved Star Wars movies. The prequels, we all know what happened with that, and that it, the response to the prequels is part of why George Lucas wanted to sell the property. So mm-hmm. whatever you think about 
the sequel trilogy, like we're not saying that they made money, therefore they're good, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of arguments of like, they didn't make enough money. I don't like them. Therefore they can't have made enough money. Therefore it's all going to be thrown out because I don't like this thing. And that's just facts. Don't care about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a guy named Doom forty six is moron send me a Reddit message uh, the other day. I I imagine this is something he 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 copied from a website or something. But he he sent me what what must have been literally a like a, a thirty thousand word message about why episode eight is bad. I was like I was like I was like okay like why are you messaging me about a, a three year old movie that like I explicitly didn't even like? And then he was like shut up. You listed that shit as something that you like but are critical of in your stupid Mandalorian video. Go F yourself. It's the only person who would ever want to be with you. All of this because he thought that maybe I didn't like a movie at one point that I'm starting to like a little bit now. And like, he probably sent me 30 messages just like berating me and like insulting me because he thought I liked a movie. Like, what are you doing with your life? Like... It's just so bizarre. Like, like the Star Wars movies don't need to be this big culture war. Um, it's been it's been exhausting for three years having to do this shit. It's annoying because there's such a, such a significant part of the Star Wars fan base now, which is organized around content creators like us, some much bigger that are very irresponsible with what they promote because they know that hate will get them more views than anything else. And this is mm -hmm. a thing that's true across YouTube. Jim Sterling did a really good video on this. Uh, he does yeah. a lot of videos about like uh, video games specifically and industry and practices. <laughs> and, uh, but he did a video about like, I do saying that I do videos about things that I don't like because people mm -hmm. watch videos about things they don't like. And there are a lot of Star Wars creators who realize that by reporting things on very flimsy evidence that they think will get them views. That's why we've had articles and videos since 2016 about how Kathleen Kennedy is being fired every week. It's like, there's no reason yeah. to believe that she is, but people will think because they don't like her that this must now be true. And yeah. it's irresponsible. And it leads to the things like uh, talking about how uh, actually Disney hates fans. It's like, no, mm -hmm. they, Ryan Johnson responded to people who were being dicks on social media to the actors and actresses, specifically Kelly Marie Tran, calling mm -hmm. those people toxic. And then through the YouTube rumor mill, this turns into actually Ryan Johnson hates us all. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And like, I've put out videos, like I noticed this even amongst my videos, like I don't try to be negative. I definitely have put out some videos that are negative and that's why I've been lumped in with like those groups sometimes. Um, but it's kind of like, you got to be honest about yourself, like, or with yourself about like, are you putting a video out because you or a podcast or a tweet or whatever else, because you just want to get people riled up because that is the easiest way to get views on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. To just get people angry at something. I don't know like what it is in the human, like, like what part of human psychology it is that people find. I think people just find it really satisfying to hate something together. Like, yeah. you know, it's like you love to hate it. So that's there were why some YouTubers who, when TLJ came out, were like lukewarm to semi-positive on it. But then they kind of realized that, mm -hmm. oh, I can shit on this for three years and make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And some of those are the most vocal critics of, critics of it now. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, you can make like literally millions of dollars 
if you become the most popular of, at shitting on whatever it is, whether it's Star Wars or, you know, Brie Larson or Last of Us 2 or, like, whatever it is, um, like, you can become very, very wealthy or at least you can have a full-time job. Um, not to say that these people necessarily don't feel this way, but... yeah. Like, there are definitely valid criticisms of the new canon, a lot of them. Like, there, mm -hmm. there's some stuff I like in it, there's some stuff I don't like in it. Just like Legends, I try to judge each piece of media within yeah. it on its own, but, like, I've been engaging with Legends since I was, mm -hmm. like, an, a kid, and that's kind of, that's my favorite thing. That's what I engage with Star Wars with. Yeah. Uh, there are some, like, we're branching into canon now with, uh, with Alphabet Squadron here, but, like, I read and mostly enjoyed the Thrawn books. I enjoyed some parts of the sequels uh but at the same time if you spend all of your time like if you spend all of your time just focusing on the fact that you hate whatever part of it then what are you really getting out of it just focus on the things you like mm -hmm. yep that's a, that's a good point and that kind of ties into what i wanted to talk about and ultimately the the book we're talking about today alphabet squadron because i made a video saying that it's gonna be like basically impossible for me to love a star wars canon story as much as i love legends and my whole point in that video which i removed because i realized i don't know if i did a good job getting that across was that a lot of it is about expectations you know like i've read so many star wars legends book i've been reading them for as long as you have i remember um heirs to the jedi was like is it heirs to the jedi heir to the force anyway for which it what was that that Jaina, the Young Jedi Knights book? Was it Heirs to the Jedi, right? Uh, no, it was Heirs to the Force, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I read that was my first Legends book. That I read that probably in like early grade school. So I've been reading these books for a long time. Um, yeah. And what like when you've read so much material, it's just expectations. And for me, that's why like I've struggled a lot with liking certain, especially like the post Endor canon books because they don't meet my expectations. And that's something I dealt with a lot early on in this book, especially um, like world building, the space combat early on, especially didn't meet my expectations. And it's not that it didn't meet my expectations because it was objectively bad or even really subjectively bad. It's just that things in the universe didn't behave like I would expect them to. And that's a little bit frustrating, I guess. Yeah. And a good part of it also comes down to when you started engaging with it and what you engage with first. Like for me, I'm doing my NJO reread and because of how I got into the universe, uh, it's there. Like for me, star by star is kind of the star Wars book and yeah. the Thrawn trilogy as well. But we even went back through and did, uh, our Thrawn trilogy stuff. And even though it's at the top of our list, uh, for, uh, for our book rankings, which mm -hmm. uh, we're actually going to be reevaluating in a couple weeks and more of a tier thing. But mm -hmm. we were still able to point out, like, these are the things that we saw as problems with it. And it's understandable how someone could go back and start reading those and possibly not enjoy that in the way that it meant to us mm -hmm. when we were younger. So we're coming in not just with this context of what our expectations are from having engaged with it for so long, but we're also coming in as nearly 30-year-olds who have grown up with these things uh, for a universe that is uh, meant primarily as children's or young adult entertainment and trying to engage with it in the same way that we might have when we were younger, which isn't to say it's not meant for adults as well, but mm -hmm. 
you are coming at it from a different perspective as when you initially would have come into it. And it, it's yeah. kind of the same reason that like, sure, we can go back and we can play Mario 64 and we'll get a lot out of that. But if we take uh, some kids from playing Mario Odyssey right now, like, no, this is the real shit and give them Mario 64, they might be like, huh. Yeah, because like a lot of that is about trying to recapture like the enjoyment you first had with something like when you were a kid. Like for me, Star Wars is all that or even but you know, talk about a game like Halo 3, for example. Like when I play a new Halo game, it, it's it's got an uphill battle because not only am I comparing it against Halo 3 as a game itself, but I'm also comparing it against, you know, the way I felt when I played that game back as a teenager for the first time. Like all the fun experiences I had playing with friends, all of that stuff. It's same with Mario 64, like, you know, that game is what got me into loving video games, really. So when you play a new game, you're comparing all of those things to, like, the emotional sort of sentiment associated with them and the actual product itself, um, which is just one that is never going to go over well. And this is, I feel like, a problem that happens every time, like, something gets rebooted or a new sequel for something comes out or we get a sequel trilogy with Star Wars, it's like, yeah, they're forced to try to continue the story or build on or whatever, but also try to recapture something that essentially you can't capture because it's not just that Halo 3 was such a good game, just that it's really fun being 16-year-old and having all that spare time and being yeah. in the middle of summer, which, you know, you can't put in video game form. And you could say the same thing about, uh, like, having been involved with creating Star Wars content since 2006, like fan content, I've been able to see kind of the fan response to different aspects of it as it came out and well it's more pronounced with the change from legends to canon because there was that hard break line when i first got into making star wars stuff there was new jedi order had ruined star wars the prequels had just ruined mm -hmm. star wars star wars was never going to be good again they shat on people's childhoods and never again but then dark nest came out suddenly the njo was better <laughs> fuck dark nest and then legacy of the force came out suddenly NJ or suddenly dark nest was slightly better and darts like it, it's kind of this thing where the latest thing is always trash and ruins star wars and then mm -hmm. the next thing comes out and this is something that's true in every fandom uh you get this kind of visceral response to something new because there's this expectation of what you're going to get and that has and that isn't always as easy to match it's the same thing I, it's kind of i was referencing with uh empire strikes back where mm -hmm. uh richard marcon was saying like oh uh Kirshner went too far from what George's vision was, and I'm going to try to get back to it with, with episode six. But mm -hmm. now with this very clear division line between, okay, there's legends and there's canon. So I don't like anything from canon, or I don't like anything from legends. When really, if you look at the people making legends, a lot of the people involved with it are the same people who were involved with the latter stages of legends, or even some of the earlier stuff. Like Timothy Zahn is still writing Star Wars books in canon. Uh, he'd be the biggest example, but also James Lucino. Uh, I'd really like to see Michael Stackpole get back in there. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but there are also these new authors. Some of them are going to be good. Some of them are not going to be good. Some things are going to be Children of the Jedi. Uh, and by <laughs> that, I, and I'm not saying that means they're bad. I'm saying that they will appeal to different people, just like mm -hmm. Legends books will appeal to different people. And I sometimes mm -hmm. suspect that a lot of the people who say, well, actually, Legends was great, have not read that much Legends, and they're basing it on this idea that it was all this same thing. Like, maybe you would have liked Marvel Star Wars. Maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe you would have liked Children, uh, uh, the Jedi Prince series. Maybe you wouldn't have. But 
within Legends, there was still this idea of like, okay, I like this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And then this other stuff was not so good. And I think if people approached canon the same way and just tried to engage with each piece of media on its own terms, you'd probably mm-hmm. find stuff that you like. You'd probably find stuff that you'd hate. But lumping it all in as one thing, uh, that's not really going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Michael Stackpole, he did respond to my tweet, by the way. Um, in uh, the Asir, um, being referenced in NJO. Oh, he got uh, he got the final answer. Yeah, he said he he's not like one hundred percent sure, but he's almost positive that that was meant to be. Or I think he said that he was pretty sure that it was meant to be a connection because he really liked Asir, and it's exactly the kind of thing he would have written. Hmm. <laughs> so not definitive, but I mean that was I, pretty good I'm, for. I'm taking that as ago. definitive. Our sources yeah. have said. That that was a seer, and that Kathleen Kennedy is fired. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write that on the Asir Wikipedia page, and my source is gonna be, <laughs> dude, just trust me. <laughs> That's actually how I source all my lore videos. Yeah, me too. Um, if you say anything confidently enough, no one's really gonna doubt you. <laughs> Spock right, so... is my favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> so with this book, the main source of comparison, I guess, for me and you, I would guess, is the. Uh, the X-Wing series, and we got Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron, and then the later books. And there's a, a pretty big divide between this novel and those novels, especially in tone, I would say. Would you agree with that? Sorry, repeat that. I, w- I would say that Alphabet Squadron is a pretty differently like written book compared yeah. to the the Alston and Stackpole books. Yeah. Um, which, that was one of the things that really threw me off at first and there have been a couple of new canon star wars books and, and legends books as well that people have have had issues with the writing i don't think it's necessarily fair to take issue with this one i mean it is fair but um i guess the aftermath series with chuck wendig that's the one that a lot of people complain about because his writing is very zany i guess um <laughs> <laughs> and this one is it, it it almost comes off a bit like melodramatic sometimes and, but I'm wondering if that's maybe just in comparison to, like, the X-Wing novels, which themselves are very, like, sort of schlocky. And I've said that word a few times, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but they're basically just, like, Top Gun on page. Um, mm. So, like, I kind of have a weird experience with this book, because this is the third time I've read it. The first time was when I actually got the review copy, and I made it about a third or halfway through, and then I stopped. The second time I listened to it all the way through an aud- on audible audiobook, um, and this time I kind of sat through and listened to it all again. Um, and I was actually expecting to dislike it a lot. And I remember I was texting you, and I was like, "Oh man, this book has been a real struggle to get through." And it was for the first, I guess, a third or so of the book. But then the latter kind of two thirds really kind of won me over quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so I think part of the tone thing actually gets to a shift that was even happening within uh it's kind of the same thing as people would point out as what threw them off going from uh the bantam era to the delray era in legends where Mm, yeah good uh, good analogy it is a bit like if you go back to the x-wing series it's a bit lighter or pulpier uh which like the tone was very different like you're saying and uh more adventure of the week and there was still a lot of depth there for example uh, when we were talking about the Wraith Squadron stuff, we called Ton Fannin's death one of the best Star Wars deaths ever. And I still, mm-hmm. even going through what we've gone through since then, which is another couple dozen books 
uh, both reading on our own and reading for the podcast, I'd still put that that scene with Face and Tawn as one of the better ways that Star Wars has ever hand, ever handled death. And for a lot of people, going from that kind of pulpier, earlier Bantam stuff to the Del Rey more serious, darker mm-hmm. tone was pretty jarring. And that was what led to a lot of the criticism of the NJO. And I think uh, in a lot of places, the new canon has gone uh, even further with that tone than uh, than NJO did. Mm-hmm. And I think Alphabet Squadron is one that definitely has. And which isn't to say that that's necessarily good or bad, but it is different. And it can be jarring going from our point of comparison here, which is the X-Wing series to Alphabet Squadron. Yeah. And there there are so, like part of the problem with me is that the audiobook is narrated by somebody who I can only like no like I'm not trying to be to be rude or anything but they're just they just come off as very like breathy like like they're <laughs> half exhausted by like every sentence that I get out it just kind of adds to this overall kind of feel of the book to me which I don't know it's like the first it it can be melodramatic at points like I think it's definitely melodramatic at all points <laughs> like I, I've got a uh, and some of it like it, the characters are written like sort of idealistic versions of like their kind of template like like i've got a quote here that i kind of saved because it's it's very illustrative to me of how the writing is i'll just read a few lines um let's see um red light okay the bass and the synth tone came through and then the words accompanied by chas's husky unselfish wails Red Light's dead state were going to win too late. The music was simplistic and overwrought and intimate all at once, and Will laughed. In that one instant, he loved Chasna Chaddock more than anyone in the galaxy. Sadanik praised Chasna's singing, and Skitcher berated her, and Renunja, to Will's surprise, permitted it. When the pilots finished mocking Chasna, they returned to mocking Will, and when that was done, they began speaking of their lost colleagues again, of Nazi and Sunagari and Rep Boy and all the others. They spoke of cantinas and romances and pranks, and Chas sneered until Sadanik reminded her that she, too, was now a part of Riot Squadron. Will didn't forget to watch his scanner, but the time passed more easily, and he rarely looked at his oxygen gauge. These are some of the stories they told. It's like, it's just very, very kind of like, this is what someone thinks people would <laughs> talk like. <laughs> yeah. Like, when they're in a squad, or like when they're young people, but like, you know. Yeah, like, I thought... Overall, the book was really good at getting the tone it wanted, uh, but I think somewhere that uh, Freed, the author, kind of stumbles is in characterization and dialogue, where you do eventually get a good sense of what the characters are supposed to be like, but often mm-hmm. that comes through him saying, this is what the character is like, rather than anything that you yeah. pull from how they speak, because you could mm-hmm. switch the names on a lot of the dialogue, and I wouldn't be able to tell who's talking. Like The way, mm-hmm. the manner of speaking that everyone has is very similar to the narration in the book, which yeah. gets to basically just saying that's how the author speaks. But uh, And that's something that I think was much better in the the X-Wing series. But I think mm-hmm. like the, the strength on the themes of the book was more than enough to make me kind of look past that and mm-hmm. still enjoy what was going on. Uh, but the thing of like, these are the stories they told... Uh, that, that must be in there at least 30 times like 30 times yeah which i get it. it it's fine it's just like that's just kind of illustrative of like the melodrama i guess yeah like the the way the writing is um 
and like in that one instant he loved Chastnachatic more than anyone in the galaxy. Like I don't know, it's just it's a little I don't know. Yeah. Uh like I don't know what it is. It's it seems like trying to like hammer in certain things a bit more, mm-hmm. like being afraid that people aren't going to pick up on it or something. Because mm-hmm. like the narrative element of using those stories, like telling the story not just as uh, mm-hmm. the narrator as it's going through, but having it be presented as okay in this section, what I am telling you is how this character is portraying it to other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting, and it's uh, in a few places it's used to set up some pretty cool things like the idea that at the start of the book we think we're getting quell's story of how she kind of defected was a hero in uh, operation cinder but then at the end we find out no actually that was the story she was telling and we've kind of been hearing Mm -hmm. from from karen and ida and ito i think is the the name that's just say ito in the in the yeah but then karen and uh i think yeah karen calls it like a 3PO style thing later. Yeah. I think it's Ito. Uh, but we're, we get the sense of the book that she's lying. She's hiding something. Mm-hmm. And because of how it's handled, it makes sense in retrospect that, Oh, it was actually mm-hmm. part of her story. That just wasn't true. Not yeah. just that it was leaving something out, but that she was actively lying to you, which mm-hmm. a lot of books tend to be kind of afraid to do. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was cool. But then the flip side of that is there are some points where, uh, there's some mysteries that are set up, but it, it it's kind of, it doesn't really land because they're all held until the end of the book. But it's stuff that we know that the characters know the answer, so it, it feels kind of cheap. Yeah, uh, and there's there's a lot of that. Yeah, I I felt like there wasn't enough kind of of that, and I think back to my other point, like Erica is kind of a good example of a character who is like I think over. Like, the author tries a little too hard to make us feel a certain way about her. She's described, like, about a thousand times as being brittle and broken and all of these things. And then it just doesn't really match to me how we see her at other points in the book. Um, but I, I don't know. It's There are a lot of interesting things. Like, I really like the fact that Erica, who's this Imperial who's committed atrocities, her main point of contact is a torture droid. Um which is, I get obviously, like, Horse <laughs> Droid's going through the exact same thing, basically. Mm-hmm. She's got kind of all this misgiving, all these misgivings about her past, and we, we don't really realize until the end that she isn't as heroic as we think she is, um, but she still has all these regrets about Cinder and not leaving the Empire early enough. She thinks she's a coward, um, kind of similar to how the Torture Droid feels about itself, um, how it was created for one thing, and, um, you know... Not any, nobody wants to see a torture droid fly into the room, basically. Yeah. Kind of like no one wants to see an, an Imperial who was part of Operation Cinder walk into a room. Yeah. Like there's a lot of kind of discussion in the book, or one of the broader themes of the book is like, not just did you leave the Empire, but when did you leave the Empire? Because mm-hmm. uh, you do get some talk about like, okay, well, uh, what have the rebels done? What has the Empire done? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, what have you been willing to personally put up with? Uh, where is your line? So the people who mm-hmm. left uh, before Alderaan are presented a certain way. People who left as a result of Alderaan are presented another way. People who mm-hmm. left after the Emperor's death are generally presented as being uh, the ones that are kind of seeing the writing on the wall. Yeah. Uh, then there's the ones that are kind of the diehard Imperials that are still trying to fight for the Empire after Palpatine's death. But then you have Operation Cinder, 
which uh, has I don't like as a general principle, but within the context of the book, it sets up this moral dilemma for people of, okay, you can't how really, do you deal with yeah. this as an imperial? Are you willing to go along with this still? And if this is what it takes for you to break, have you actually made any sort of moral judgment? Or once, mm-hmm. even, especially the people who leave after it's already started, what grounds do you have to go to the New Republic and say, I want to be part of this now? Do you actually believe in anything they're doing? Are you being an opportunist? Uh, are you looking like uh, Shakara Nuris? for some sort of justification because the empire you believed in could never have just ordered this wanton destruction. There must've been a purpose. And then she kind of finds out like, no, there probably wasn't. Yeah. Um, I, I quite actually quite like that. I don't mind operation Cinder as an idea. Um, some of the ways like the planets are destroyed are maybe a bit goofy, like, but that's a minor issue. Um, I do like how Erica is like still clearly indoctrinated and like, at the yeah. end of the book, she fights against it a few times, like, but, you know, she, she still thinks of the attack on the Death Star as a terrorist attack. She still thinks of the destruction of Alderaan as being justified, which, I'm sorry, it, it just clearly isn't. Um, and we kind of realized that she, even, like, when the writing was on the wall, and the whole point is that, you know, the even those who were brainwashed by the Empire um, realized that Operation Cinder had no tactical significance, you know, you, you you can at least make an argument that Alderaan and the other genocides were done for a military purpose, but when it comes to Cinder and the, the wholesale destruction of, like, innocent worlds, there is no purpose. It's just cruelty for cruelty's sake. Um, so I, I do kind of like that idea, but even then, the thing is, she's not really, she, she lacks the kind of courage to leave in that case, which mm-hmm. I thought was is kind of interesting. I'll be curious to see how they deal with that in the next book. Um, but yeah, I like the, I think the cinder thing is a pretty cool backdrop. Um, I like how, you know, she, she's listening to all these, uh, kind of recorded Imperial messages and she comes, comes across the cinder tapes and whatnot. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, from a world building perspective, it is kind of messy, but I think it's really the only option given the fact that they have set the empire up to essentially be defeated um in one year and it, it's even more so than in legend because in some of the post endor stuff early on in legends they do talk about like the galactic civil war being won and lost um but the mop up is always uh, you know it's a pretty big thing in legends but so there really has to be kind of a, a really good reason why no one has coalesced under one leader in canon or why larger imperial factions haven't emerged so I think the the just the crazy defections due to the uh, contingency, and then also just the increased factionalism is a as good a as good of a uh, explanation as any really. Yeah, like I was fine with it as a way to get the uh, the empire kind of out of the way faster and that faster because I don't think we needed another Warlord of the Week series because uh, we already do have that in Legends. And I'm not super interested in having the same stories retold multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the just the way that it's... You can have it be more on the side of destruction for destruction's sake while still having, to some extent, the idea that they think they're doing the right thing for some clearly wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but yeah yeah so there was there was a scene in the middle of the bookish where Erica was going to a planet whose name I forget now but there was it could kind of like replay the ghost of a battle and oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah and she was she was basically cheering for the imperial or finding herself instinctually cheering for the imperial side so mm-hmm. like there are a lot of kind of knee-jerk reactions where she's still clearly imperial and she was pushed into joining the new republic not through her own uh her own desires but like she was edging that way she had started off wanting to be a rebel when she joined the empire but then she kind of got uh indoctrinated into thinking that okay i'm fighting not just for the empire for the emperor i'm fighting for the people that i'm fighting with and Mm -hmm. it finally took her commanding officer to push her out of it uh and he's a character in the book as well though he's kind of hidden uh he's given a different name and you go through the book Mm -hmm. with maybe two chapters of him wondering okay what's going on here but you kind of realize just before the reveal i think who he is Mm -hmm. and so really she was kind of pushed into what were her original beliefs but now her strength and any of her convictions isn't that strong and she kind of latches on to the same thing where her belief in the new republic isn't really a belief in the new republic it's that she's latching on to alphabet squadron now and Mm -hmm. we finally get that with her uh painting the alphabet squadron crest on uh on their fighters Mm mm-hmm yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Speaking of falling into old habits, I found it, I really liked how Shakara Nares kept calling the rebels separatists. Yeah, like that she's was... been she's been in war for so long she can't even keep them straight. <laughs> All the same <laughs> kind thing. Of, like 30 yeah, years. Pelion has kind of the opposite issue sometimes. From what I remember in the Thrawn trilogy, where he'll call them the New Republic and Thrawn's like rebels. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that goes on through a lot of the EU. Has anyone done that before? Just the separatist? Yeah. Thing? I can't I can't really think of any cases. It's pretty funny though. Yeah, I, I did like that. I I feel like the pacing with the different character perspectives could have been done better. There's a lot of the book that probably doesn't really need to be there. because uh, it's one of the longer but I think it's like almost six hundred pages. Is it that long? uh it i think so wow but uh but yeah there there are some places where it could probably be a little bit shorter and mm-hmm. if you're going to use that length maybe give a little bit more time to devon slash crease or maybe another chapter or two to mm-hmm. nurse and kind of show what's still going on on the imperial side but uh i guess we yeah. should explain a bit about like who the actual squadron is or give a brief roster yeah, so basically the squadron is made up of five individuals, all of uh, who lost <coughs> their, basically their squadron mates, except for Erica, who have lost their squadron mates to this Imperial fighter wing known as um, Shadow Wing, which is basically this elite wing. Uh, I don't know if it's using wing in like a Legends terms, because it does seem like there's more than, what, like seven squadrons or however much, however many are supposed to be in a wing. Um I think it's three for uh, then no that's New Republic I think three squadrons to a wing, but uh, either way there's there's a lot of different squadrons there I think I think there's got to be at least like uh, seven or six or seven wings yeah. uh, any any or six or seven squadrons within. But anyways it's this sort of elite fighter wing 
Um, which actually does, I think, help with scale a little bit because they're not just hunting down this one squadron, they're hunting down this one squadron wing, and it's still a very, very low priority. But anyway, that's getting off track. Um, so Alphabet Squadron is made up of five individuals who have come together. Um, there's Will Lark and Chasna Chatta, who are both like um, survivors of this attack on a ship called the Hellion's Dare. Uh, where they encounter Shadowing, that's after Endor, and they're the only two survivors there. Um, and then there is Erica Quell, she is the kind of leader of Alphabet Squadron, she's a former member of Shadowing. Um, what's the guy's name again? Uh, uh Nash the Nath Tencent. Right, Nath Tencent, he was another individual who had his squad, um, wiped out by Shadowing. And then there's just this weird alien named Kairos, uh, who I who, thought when I first read the book was probably a badly burnt Wookiee. <laughs> well, because... you spend most of the book thinking, oh, she can't talk, but then she also talks sometimes. It's very inefficient that there's like a burst of static that meant Kairos's con- or mm-hmm. ascent. It's like, no, d- say yes. Say you're here. Yeah, because... Well, the, yeah, because that's something they, they did a bit in the Rogue Squadron books, but only for, like, really quick responses. They'd hit their communicator really quick. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, the characters are interesting because, yeah, they all are kind of, like, deeply hurt because they've all come from these really fucked up pasts where they've seen a lot of people die. Um, do you do you have a personal favorite in the squad? I didn't like any of them on a personal level. Like, I, I think they were all like good characters uh mm-hmm. but i don't like any of them which mm-hmm. i think is part of the point where mm-hmm. they're all very clearly deeply flawed people uh right where like will is nice but he's also kind of an incel <laughs> uh <laughs> and chas just has like a death wish maybe it'd yeah. probably be chas if mm-hmm. i had to pick one to be my favorite mm-hmm. um so yeah, the, the kind of, uh, and I guess there's only five in the squadron because it wanted you to kind of get used to, or get get to know each one of these individuals a little bit yeah. more than you would in the Rogue Squadron books. I don't know if I necessarily felt like that. Like, I, I guess I know them all, but there's not like a like that I get with Cornhorn, but I guess he's a bit more of a simple character in some ways, not, not in a bad way, but he's a bit more morally good, I guess. Yeah, um, well, uh, Will and Chas are both fairly morally good though chas is kind of bloodthirsty but yeah but um so yeah, the the whole idea is that they each fly their own uh starfighters so there's an x-wing an a-wing a u-wing a y-wing and a b-wing which just seems like it would be an absolute it'd just be so annoying to coordinate any sort of battle like that but i guess we'll find out in squadrons when that comes out yeah uh yeah i think we can exactly recreate uh alphabet squadron mm-hmm. in the game which yeah. that will really piss the Templin Institute off, uh, Mark. Yeah, he he does. <laughs> the The whole premise of Alphabet Squadron or Inferno Squadron just uh, he he is not. If yeah. there's if there's only five people in something, no, mm-hmm. they can't they can't do anything. Um, one of the ships, I think the capital ship that you'll be attached to, has been added to um the sort of fleet that general sandula has um i think it's, is that the tempest it was an mc80 mc75 temperance i think it was called um but if i remember correctly they've sort of attached that retroactively to uh 
to Hera's fleet, which doesn't really make sense because they describe the uh, the Lodestar as being one. the most powerful ship. But yeah. maybe maybe it's in the next book. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought the, I thought the old acclimator was kind of a cool idea um, for a, a flagship, and you do kind of get the feeling that this is like a very minor fleet. Like it's kind of just cruising through like back sectors it seems and like fighting smaller battles i think i might yeah. have enjoyed a series following that fleet a little bit more than just the squadron to be honest so one of the things that i actually really like about the book is the kind of scale where they have a clear objective against something that is a clear threat but mm -hmm. it does keep it like centered as like no this isn't this isn't the biggest fight for the galaxy like you might get mm -hmm. with uh, the battle of typhera the seizure of coruscant in the X-Wing books, this is just a squadron who's not even really in the military. They're an intelligence asset. Mm -hmm. They're competent, but they're not like the best of the best. Quell is like, she's not even presented as really being a fighter ace or no, uh, she's good. She's not a she's Jedi. Not like... She's not a fighter ace. She's just, yeah, she's a competent pilot. She's a terrible leader at first. And it's kind of her learning how to relate to her people better and still kind of failing at that, but at least showing that she cares about their well-being and trying to ingratiate her to that group. And yeah, them all she's not wedge. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and that that is kind of a. I don't know if it's a problem, but that's one thing I was talking about with Al, with Alex, and I guess we'll talk about it in the next book. It's like you still have to find a way to. For me, like a big part of the X Wing books that I really enjoy is that sort of you get to see kind of the scales of war tipping, um, even though it is just kind of small actions. They are at really important moments. So, will the next two books in the trilogy kind of move in that direction i've heard that mm -hmm. the second book is a lot more so, like it's a lot more smaller scale even than the first one so mm. i can kind of see that as being a bit frustrating for me um but i don't know um i i, I do like the sense of scale too and I, I thought it was cool that Hera was introduced i would have liked it if there were more explicit rebels connections but like i understand why there wasn't because i guess they didn't want to write themselves into a corner but like they always talk about, she talks a lot about her old family or her old crew, but she never says, she never Any says Kanan by name, yeah. for example. Like, I was waiting for her to say, like, she missed her crew, like, she missed Kanan, like, but she didn't. She just says she missed her old family. Um, yeah. Like, I I do like Hera's presence, and I thought she was overall handled well, but I think there was a bit of an over-reliance on her, uh, mm -hmm. where she ended up doing stuff that just seems kind of weird for her as a commander to be doing where yeah. maybe it's because she identified that this group needed her help more, but she's mm -hmm. like just going and having drinks with Alphabet Squadron and Chas is like feeling close enough to leave her uh, her music collection to Hera if she died. And yeah. it just seems like here's a familiar character for you. Here's like the one unambiguously likable person in this book. That's funny because I thought the first few bits where she was dealing with Karen, I thought she was actually written to be a little bit un un unlikable. She was written um, to be standoffish at first, but then it's like a yeah. chapter later. Like, then, oh, actually, like we're it's all against friends. Karen, and Karen's a dick. Yeah. So like, it's kind of understandable. Um, yeah, but, I didn't like Karen at all. <laughs> no, and I don't think you're supposed to. He's no. like a slimy. I, I did like the. I remember when I was reading the first, but I was like, man, they really need a uh, an Aaron Kraken. And then later he gets Kraken gets a brief mention because the whole bit is about like he believes it, it's kind of slimy because Aiden kind of makes the suggestion that the New Republic really needs an intelligent ar intelligence arm if they're going to fight all these Imperial warlords. 
and all these sort of splinter groups and whoever else, which is true, but he's also plainly doing what he's doing for his own reasons, one of which is he really wants power. Um, so, yeah. interesting character, but he's not a good guy, even though he's fighting for the good guys, and he's, he's not a general Kraken or... Yeah. Yeah, and that's a kind of big theme throughout is like, Fighting for the good guys doesn't make you a good guy. And a lot of the no. good guys came from the bad guys. And sort of like, how do you interact within that? How are you moving within that system? What are the things that, what are the specific things that you are opposing or supporting? And because like, yeah, there's even, so the the final battle in this, in the book is uh, over an Imperial stronghold planet now that's mm-hmm. uh, a Bonham mining planet, essentially. And uh, yeah. so the atmosphere, if you, uh tried to fly through it with capital ships or if you tried to shoot through it with capital ships it would just kind of ignite which i thought was pretty cool yeah and uh it was a good excuse for why the squadrons needed yeah and so uh some of the actions of alphabet squadron of quell in particular which seem like tactically good ideas at the time it's like oh if i blow up this thing it'll disrupt the station but then that has the downstream effects of like oh well that's mm-hmm. actually going to make this explode and this explode and suddenly they're on the verge of causing this basically whole planetary Holocaust situation. Yeah. That's kind of it's reminiscent like an operation of what, cinder, basically. Yeah. And yeah. so you kind of get the thing of like, okay, this is what the rebels are doing and they need to stop this. And they're trying to stop this, but also a lot of the Imperials were trying to stop this alongside them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. And even coming this close to what they did, they were still willing to call it a success. And Quell is like, how how is this a success? Look mm-hmm. at what I almost did, and how am I going to live with that? Yeah, we saw Nath Tenzin shoot somebody, shoot a, basically a prisoner at, at close range um, after she complied with his orders when, when he kills his grandmother. And that's not something a good guy in Star Wars does. Like, like he just straight up, he murders her, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, she is an enemy, but she had capitulated... Uh, he had her captured. They're in the heat of battle, and like, and he just straight up shoots her. Like, that's not something that you'd see Cornhorn do, for example. Um, when, I'm not saying that as a, as a rip against the character of Nath. It's just it's interesting because he's not a good guy, but he is at the same time because he also like he's he's willing to let Will die. He yeah. he's got his own little mission that he's plainly doing for money, as much as he's doing or more than f- to avenge his squadron. Um, and he kind of says good luck and he leaves his Y-wing being flown by an astromech and the astromech is just terrible at flying like he misses shoot an enemy that's right in front of him and Will almost dies yeah um, yeah his yeah, entire interest in the squadron is essentially uh, he kind of assesses who he's going to be able to work with for his own gain let alone who he gets along with or who he'd want to work with or yeah trying to keep everyone alive it's just okay will and chas are people that i can use against quell and uh cairn and he's kind of there to work for cairn to find information on quell uh to find out like why she actually left because uh ito and cairn don't trust quell's story about uh having uh opposed operation cinder and being like the hero of necronis uh Mm -hmm. instead she was like an actual perpetrator of it and that is what uh that's what Tencent finds out while he's on the station uh, and gets that information from Nurus before shooting her, then gives mm-hmm. it back to Cairn, who goes down to the surface to uh, rescue Quell, who's been uh, 
while she was trying to save the planet from the falling station, save the city, uh, she crashed. And so Cairn's quote unquote rescue of her was to basically go down and blackmail her and say, I own you now because I have this information on you and you're going to do what I say. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really pick up on this too, but she also covers for Soren Keys to the New Republic because she says yeah. that he's dead at the beginning, which I didn't notice until I, I reread it this time. And then at the end too, like we know that Soren Keys probably isn't, he's like the Imperial Major who kind of leaves afterwards. Um, he's probably not an all around terrible guy. Um, but at the end, like, like he's he wants to live his new life and the New Republic is hunting him down. He's forced to murder to um to new republic intelligence operatives and it, it actually is pretty sad because he's sort of kind of found this new home where people are accepting him he's even thinking about maybe starting a family someday like he says maybe maybe sometime later and basically one of his squad one of his uh, new co-workers talks about introducing him to to some uh, future partner or something um so that's kind of kind of sad i guess did you pick up on who he was earlier I don't remember because I, I had read it. I read this book like last year, so I can't really remember, but I, I don't think so. Yeah, because I, I kind of want to go back and see if there was any more hints of that because uh, I only read it the one time fully through and I, I picked up on it like basically right before the chapter with the reveal. Mm-hmm. Where, it was like, where oh, he's, yeah. yeah. The only real hint I would say is his competence and the fact that Keys's fate doesn't line up in the two stories. Other than yeah. that, like, there's not a whole lot else. And the fact that he's clearly running from something, he uh, he recognizes the sort of imperial tendencies of that um, maintenance worker on the uh, the Lorinar station. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, maybe, but I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't clever enough to pick it up anyway. <laughs> but um, sorry. Go ahead. I uh, know. I was gonna say I really like the my I think my favorite part of the book is probably when they go to the Jedi Temple. Yeah, that was cool. It was kinda it was very reminiscent of the the Rebels thing, only mm. without an actual Jedi to use the force and kind of reveal everything there. But that was a cool yeah. scene. Yeah, it was just it was cool bit too because it was like it, it was a good way to because the Rogue Squadron books kind of usually did squadron bonding in a good way, I thought. Usually it was through missions, although sometimes it was in downtime. So I don't know, this was just a really cool way, considering there is no combat during this mission. There's one little flyover by an enemy, but it turns out it's literally just, you know, a person probably, or some little pirate or something, nothing to worry about. Um, and I enjoyed, like, listening to the various squadron members sort of tell their own stories, and I like that the Jedi Temple pr- provided a sort of, uh, like, a weighty, I guess, background for it all to happen in. Yeah. Um... And the planet itself is kind of kind of described in a pretty cool way. Um, it's just it was nice to get away from the fleet for a bit, I guess. Yeah, and I do think that was a a good way to highlight that, like, as much as Quell thinks she's trying, she does have this tendency mm-hmm. to go uh, halfway in and try to justify yeah. how actually she's doing this for the right reasons, but like distancing herself from her squad uh well still trying to get their trust where she kept making excuses like they're all bonding but that's going to be harder if i'm around so it's for the good of the squad that i isolate myself from them but she even gets called out on this by ito later 
And it's told like, no, you, you do this thing where you convince yourself that it's a good idea to do something. You take half the steps to get there and then you call it done. And yeah. that's where she goes and uh, gets the, the tech to do all the Alphabet Squadron logos mm-hmm. on the fighters. And that's enough to get them to think like, okay, she's on our side at least. But I've, I've, I really hope that that kind of continues into the next book of like her realizing mm-hmm. that she's actually still really standoffish and weird and trying to develop that more rather than just being uh go and oh we're all a squad now mm-hmm. i mean wedge has some of the same issues too um i forget which book it is that really highlights it it might, it might even be wedge's gamble perhaps where like mm-hmm. he there it is different being a squadron member and being a squadron leader or yeah. being like the ranking officer essentially because you you're not equal uh or you, you don't feel equal with the rest of your squad so but yeah she's really struggling with it I, I do think it's interesting it's also kind of interesting to me how she's really really struggling to be like a warrior like she has that one thing i thought was maybe a bit cheesy is when she she talks to um to hera and she says is it worth it like being a warrior and it's just like she's not new at this herself like i get that she's now having to kill people that like she was once aligned with but like she's killed a lot of people before as well you know what i mean yeah and i think uh the wedge comparison uh you can kind of see how they're coming at it from different directions as Mm -hmm. well where like wedge is this decorated respected war hero who everyone wants to serve with so he does Wedge is taking these steps to distance himself from the squad for his own emotional well-being, having lost mm-hmm. so many people, and uh, also just because of the regard that they hold him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, whereas Quell might be coming from a similar place where she's distancing herself to not get hurt, but she's not starting from a position where she, by default, has the respect of her squadron. Uh, so mm-hmm. she still needs to take those extra steps to prove herself as a commander, yep. as a pilot, like she's not even necessarily a better pilot than uh, Will Nath or Chas or she's Chiros. probably she's definitely not as good as Will, I would say. Yeah, um, yeah. Like her, her qualification as leader is essentially that she was she had command experience within the two hundred fourth, but the thing that she's stumbling with the most is being a leader. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not like wedge where you have this pre-built expectation of like we are following you because you are this accomplished person you are this rebel hero everyone is like tripping over themselves to serve with you it's like no none of us want to be here that much in the first place we're an extra military unit here just because we want revenge on this unit that you are in charge of us because you were in charge of them before yeah and there's like there's no reason for any of these people to respect her and they don't and she doesn't really give them many reasons to until later. And honestly, putting a crest on the ships is kind of weak. Yeah, and that's like you're not even doing most of the work there. <laughs> she yeah. basically just asked the mechanic to do it. Yeah, like you're showing that you feel like you're part of this group. And because they all think you're so weird and standoffish, this does come across to them as being like a big step. But it, it's not enough. And I really think we need to get more of that if there's going to be any cohesion within the group in Shadowfall. Yeah. Do you have any expectations for that book? Uh, So I came into Alphabet Squadron thinking I wouldn't like it. I had kind of low expectations uh, coming into this episode. But mm-hmm. I actually 
Uh, I really enjoyed the book overall. Like I've kind of talked about uh, some of the pacing and characterization issues I had, but overall I thought it was well done. And I, I now my expectations for Shadowfall are higher than they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping some of the good continues on in there and maybe some of the bad gets smoothed out a little. But yeah, how about you? Because you were much lower from what I understand on the book going in initially versus coming out liking it a bit more. And have you read Shadowfall yet? No, I haven't read it yet. Um, honestly, it was mostly because I've been so kind of uh, about it. I talked to Alex and I, I don't know. I just wasn't I just wasn't really feeling it. And like I said, I kind of felt that way still through the first third of this book. And there's one sort of section that I really, really dislike and that's the the chase between the Nebulon B and the cruiser carrier. First of all, yeah. there's about a gazillion cruiser carriers in the Empire, and there's more in the next book. Because the first thing I did when I got the new book on digital is I control f cruiser, Star Destroyer, <laughs> just kind of get an idea of what the space battles would be like. Um, and I just, I found the chase through the, the what is it, Ortigal cluster? Ortigal, uh, yeah. Yeah, Ortigal cluster. I just found that really, really, like, unpleasant because that was one example where kind of Star Wars canon and the way this book was written didn't mesh with kind of how I expected a Michael Stackpole or an Aaron Alston space battle to go. Um, yeah. And like the way that the B wings and the, the uh, A wings were handled didn't really mesh with kind of how I was feeling. Um, like I didn't like the idea of the Nebulon B not being able to defend itself, for example. But again, this is just, stupid stuff about how i expect the the kind of universe to work um i i don't like i think the part where they're introducing will and um riot squadron and what's the other one called again to talon is it uh hound hound yeah i thought when those squadrons were introduced i thought the writing was just really really bad and confusing um there's a lot of uh a lot of the the scenes early on with uh, with Will and Chas before they join Alphabet Squadron feel kind of repetitive and not mm-hmm. fantastic. Like, I feel like you get one chapter out of it and then have them losing that one and join because, like, the way it's done, it is very similar and kind of not fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy that. So for the first little bit of this book, I was like, man, I have the exact same issues I did last time. Like, it's, it's going to be a slog to read through this. But then at some point, I don't know, I just started liking it a lot more. Still, it's still not my favorite Star Wars book ever, but it's not quite as like I'm. I'm now pretty excited to read the next one. Yeah. Um, one thing that that kind of bothered me about the that I meant to mention in the latest Rogue Squadron, but or the latest X Wing book and in this, is that they're so like. This is probably even more noticeable in the X Wing books. They just don't introduce new ships like. Mm-hmm. Even Tie Defenders don't get introduced till X, uh, till X Wing Book Eight, um, and like I'm just waiting for someone to introduce something new um, through one of these books because like it's just a small thing, but a new Rebel Starfighter would be really cool, or like a new like thank God Rogue One came along, or else we'd have like nothing new in this era to work with. Yeah, because um, they gave us like the Death Troopers, the U Wing. You mean uh, top the, three the Star Wars movie Rogue One? Sorry? You mean top three Star Wars movie, Rogue One? Yeah, that one. Um, so yeah, they just need to make more of those because we're running out of shit to play with <laughs> in the universe. Um, and if you read like the art of episode nine, 
you can see that a lot of it was based off JJ liking stuff from Rogue One. Um, like the the new Sith troopers were basically red Death Troopers is what he wanted. Um, all of the kind of graphics for the inside of like the ships and stuff was all based off Rogue One. Um, but it's even more disappointing, I think, in X-Wing that like we don't get anything else be besides like uglies and TIE fighters and TIE interceptors and bombers. Like that's one place where they could have really introduced some cool like I guess we get the TIE Raptors too, but they could have introduced some cool experimental starfighters and, you know, yeah. had that been an enemy for a book. Yeah, like even the the uglies and like the clutch and stuff were these kind of they're kind of these minor weird things in X Wing, but uh so they don't really interfere. You're not reading later stuff when are like, well, why aren't there more uglies in this? But it, it, it gives a nice yeah. new thing for those books. And it would would have been nice to see a bit more of that. And I was kind of hoping that Alphabet Squadron would be more than five people and you'd have more types of lettered mm -hmm. fighters. Uh, and I don't think Shadowfall adds any more either. No, I don't think uh, so. So, yeah. I believe that uh, the author did say that the third book will be much larger in scope than the first two. Um, mm. And I believe, I want to actually get my copy of the novelization. I believe Alphabet Squadron gets name dropped in the at the Battle of Exegol as well in the uh, Rise of Skywalker novelization. I'm going to see if I can pull that up. Um, so, yeah, that'll be Yeah, that's uh, 30 years later, so Nath would be almost 70, so he's probably not still in it at that point. Well, I'd say it's pretty likely that it's not the Alphabet Squadron. Yeah. Maybe it's just a like an Alphabet Squadron. Let me see. Let me just yeah. get the book open. That was Alpha. actually something while you're looking that up uh, that kind of stood out to me is like Nath is 38 years old, I think. Mm -hmm. which is five years older than no, a little bit older than wedge and Tycho uh, are yeah. in the X-wing books. And a lot of those is like talking about how they're, they're older, they're getting towards retirement. They're getting into command positions. Now mm -hmm. uh, they're going to start having uh, their reaction speed kind of go down and you get into NJ. I was like, no, they're actually still just better than everyone. <laughs> yeah. But uh but I, it was kind of weird having Nath be this hot shot still. Uh, just comparing yeah. how Wedge and Tycho are talking about themselves in uh, in X-Wing versus how yeah. Nath is presented here. Yeah. Um, so I checked it. We do get, it says Alphabet 2 standing by when they're kind of doing the call signs. Mm. Um, I would like if they gave Erica T T-70 at some point, or at least an upgraded X-Wing. Um, yeah. That would be because hers seems to be ruined. I hope our astromech droid survives. I really liked actually how this book handled droids. Yeah. Between ITO and um, T6. Yeah, which is basically T6 is basically a chopper. He's like the same model as Chopper from Rebels, hmm. um, which is a, a new droid type that I quite like. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, yeah, hopefully we get something new. Uh, it is cool though that at least the name Alphabet Squadron. Um, survived that long but I wonder yeah. if it's it seems like I just read something and it seems like Alexander Freed is like I don't know like is it the whole squadron is it somebody else well, I haven't read the I haven't written the third book yet I don't even know <laughs> if they're gonna survive <laughs> yeah sort of like a rogue squadron versus rogue one situation yeah exactly I um, did enjoy that like Chas's inspiration for getting into the rebellion was Jin. And the kind of thing. Yeah, I like sure, that. Sure, yeah, Luke Luke blew it up, but 
Shin's the real hero. Just the the different ways that they see themselves <laughs> and others and how they mm-hmm. frame events for themselves, which I thought matched the rest of the themes of the books and was an interesting way to sort of talk about the accomplishments of different people that didn't necessarily take away from what Luke and Wedge had done, but it's shown how uh, the different elements of it could mean different things to different people beyond just mm-hmm. how it exploded. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was a kind of, yeah, Jin, Jin's an interesting character. I quite like her. Um from one of the best Star Wars movies, as you just yeah. admitted a few minutes ago. Yeah, as, as I just admitted. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, it, to me, it felt like Nath's, uh, him losing his squadron should have, like, I was reading it, and I guess I must have missed it. But at the very end, when he's talking to Grandmother, he was like, yeah, the battle happened six months ago. And I'd been thinking it happened, like, years ago, like yeah. a couple of years ago. But I don't know if that was just kind of me not picking up properly or what, but... Yeah, yeah. There were parts of this book where I was actually thinking it was set significantly after, or not mm-hmm. significant, like a year after, or two mm-hmm. years after that it actually was. But yeah, because we're still pre Jakku, right? Um, mm-hmm. What did you think of like the world building and stuff? I know I talked about it a little bit. I think it was generally good for the kind of things it was setting up, like focusing on Cinder, how it did for setting up the motivations of the characters and the morality Mm -hmm. of the characters. And you get a little bit of a glimpse of how the New Republic works as a whole. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some interesting planets. Like I really liked the the Tivana gas planet, which I don't remember the name of. I thought the thing in the orbital cluster, like the the hallucination planet was kind of weird. But... uh, yeah, but overall, I thought it did a good job keeping it focused, but still giving a a general idea of like what the galactic conquest context was. Not galactic conquest, mm-hmm. too much empire at war. Yeah, I guess I, it seems like you've got a lot less sort of issues with how they've handled the post Endor stuff than me. Not necessarily. It's just when talking about like this specific book and how it fits into that and how it deals with it, I feel mm-hmm. like taking what's already established this book did a good job using it for the purposes of telling the story it's telling mm-hmm. uh and like i am a bit more forgiving of like how fast the empire falls apart because i again i don't really need another set of warlord things mm-hmm. although it kind of doesn't give that much to happen between episode six and episode yeah. seven uh and i feel like that's always going to be a sticking point for the new canon is that it's already started. It, it'd be like if Vector Prime was the first Legends thing mm-hmm. that came out. And then, yeah. sure, we get all this stuff earlier, but... Uh, it's kind of meaningless It's now. kind of meaningless, and you kind of know where it's all going to end up. And I think that's going to be something that Legend or that canon always will struggle with, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe High Republic can break out of a little bit because we we don't know what happens to the, to the initial characters in that because Episode 1 is still so far away, and maybe with post tross they'll be able to do uh to do more do you think uh, new republic 2 electric boogaloo is on its way i feel like probably yeah like, i don't know if they'll still call it the new republic or try to have continuity with the new republic as that interwar state or if mm-hmm. they'll just it'll be a republic called the republic kind. again yeah i think that would i would put my money on that happening Mm-hmm. I, I just I'm going. Republic, I'm putting that so. as the official stance of the Tapcap Transmissions podcast. It will just be called the Republic. I've noticed that they're using a lot of the old Legends uh, 
I guess they did in the Mandalorian as well, but using like even the Legends New Republic logo and stuff, which I don't know. I like it. Like it yeah. blows my mind that we're seeing. Like it, like if someone would have told me like back in I don't know like 2010 that we'd be getting a, a movie where the with the New Republic in it, <laughs> that would have blown my mind. Yeah. Um. So I was thinking. I wonder what um Legends fans back in. 99 felt like when they heard Coruscant for the first time in The Phantom Menace, they must have been yeah. shitting their pants. I wonder if Cornhorn's dad is going to be in this. <laughs> As a 10-year-old. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, I bet you Jor- Joris Sabayoth is here, and we're going to start to see the Clone Masters in just any second now. <laughs> <laughs> to be real, to be realistic, they're probably like, Coruscant, I wonder if that's related to Coruscant. <laughs> yeah. I and, and I pronounced it as chorus can't until oh, way too late. I wonder if this Palpatine is related to Palpatine. <laughs> Sheev? Yeah, Sheev. That's probably my favorite thing about Star Wars canon. Just calling the fucker Sheev. <laughs> no, no wonder he went full evil. Well, Palpatine wasn't the best. Yeah. I suppose. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I think we've we've done a kind of interesting cover of this book. It's we've talked very little about the plot, and I guess just to summarize, they form, they don't kill Shadow Wing, but they they get a victory, they destroy the stronghold, uh, friends are made. So, like I think that's probably something we should open up to uh, some discussion, whether people want to email in about it or leave comments in various places on it. Uh, but ever since we started the podcast, we've kind of talked about like what the best format is. And I've generally mm-hmm. felt that when we just sort of talk like this about the, the points we find interesting or find worth discussing, I've I've generally found that works out to be a better episode rather than us trying to like yeah, I agree. do a shitty audio book in an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But if people maybe want more chat or more plot or even just like a two to three minute brief, very brief rundown at the start, maybe mm-hmm. but how people feel about that. That might be a good idea. Two to three minute rundown. Um but I think I think we kind of got most of the plot just through discussion. Yeah. D- did you like the the final battle? It, it, it did get a bit rogues two rogue squadrony for me, where it's like five mm-hmm. starfighters versus ten thousand. Yeah. Um, I liked it overall. I didn't. I, I felt like the the amount of stuff they killed was yeah. a bit high. But again, I I enjoyed the plan. Like, I enjoyed mm-hmm. the framing of it enough, and it made it feel like the battle on this planet is going to be different from a battle on like. The things mm. that happened were specific to the environment, and I like when that happens. Uh, kind of like yeah. the uh, the canyon battle. Was that Borlaeus? I don't think so. Um, Commodore? I can't remember. But there was the canyon battles in uh, in X-Wing, and like those oh, yeah. kind of things were built up to happen, taking in the environment into account. And I thought that was cool, just... The way it was mm-hmm. framed, as in, like, this could happen here, and this is what would happen if you were fighting on this planet. A big part of what you have to consider when you're being a Star Wars admiral is planning for the your battlefield, and it's not always just empty space. Uh, Follower, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, I thought that was cool. Um, like, we, we talked before about comparing, like, Austin versus Stackpole in their... Mm-hmm. Uh, ability to write like the the fighter combat and i think this probably falls somewhere between that i don't think it was like quite as good as the best of the best of the rogue squadron Mm -hmm. fighter writing but i don't think it was like so out of line with what we'd get there 
Yeah, and I do. I thought they did a good job at the end of like each of the pilots is basically flying their balls off. Like, yeah, their ships are coming apart. Like, it really did feel desperate, even though no one ended up dying. Yeah, I do like at the end too, where Erica is like, she's got one cannon left, and like she's been like basically shooting down like girders and stuff, and the whole space station's about to fall. Yeah, like it's gonna be a completely hopeless battle. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Um. Yeah, it got a little rogue squadrony for me, but I thought the combat generally was pretty good. I I really didn't like the uh, the stuff in the Ordal cluster as I kind of discussed, but mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, the a lot of the the fighter combat before that kind of drags and mm-hmm. isn't as good. But I think yeah. the the final battle was good enough to yep, make me look past it. But do you want to head over to the top calf ranks here? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so this will be the last book that we probably put on this ranking how it is. Uh, so for those watching on the YouTube versions, we have the list up right now. For those listening on the audio versions, uh, sucks to suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so since our first episode, we've kind of done a full comprehensive ranking. But as we've now gotten into the 20s and 30s of books here, uh, we're going to be shifting into doing just tier lists uh, yeah. and kind of inserting stuff into tiers. So we probably won't rank Alphabet Squadron 2 when Alex is on uh, two episodes from now, uh, just so he doesn't feel left out and because we're going to be changing the rankings. So we'll put Alphabet yeah, Squadron we'll 1 in that. now. And the episode that we do on uh, August 6th, so three episodes from now, is going to be just us re- looking at all of the books we've read so far and putting them into a tier list because I'm going to be moving that month or that week and uh, mm-hmm. a nice simple one is going to be going to be great. Yeah, just just what the uh, just what the Dana ordered. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to go first on this one? Right now, your uh... list has last for the people listening in audio. Last Command, Plagueis, and Heir to the Empire. Your top three right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Trusa Bakura is. Uh, third last then champions of the force and kratos trap uh this is tough for me um i think i'm gonna put it right under dark apprentice right under dark apprentice so that is fifth last for you uh i don't know that might be too hard you go first i need i need to think some more okay i'm gonna fix the spelling for wraith squadron because you know what no it's lasted this long you have ray squadron right in the middle uh (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so I was kind of thinking because our point of comparison for this really is the the X-Wing books and I didn't like it as much as uh, Rogue Squadron or Wraith Squadron, like the initial ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some comments saying we were way too hard on Wraith Squadron, but like I, I've got mm-hmm. it like sixth, seventh, yeah, yeah, sixth and you've got it pretty high up. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I didn't like it as much as Wraith or Rogue Squadron or most of the X-Wing books. I did enjoy it more than Ice Arge Revenge, which is the last one we did. So I was kind of thinking about where it would go in here. Uh, and I'm probably going to put it between Wedge's Gamble and Ice Arge Revenge for me. Uh, okay. So it's bottom third for me, but we're still at a point where other than maybe yeah. Champions of the Force, there hasn't been a book that we've read that I've like actually disliked yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Champions of the Force, I just felt didn't need to exist. Um, so it might be the only one that crosses into that threshold for me. 
But I thought Alphabet Squadron was pretty solid. Uh, some places that uh, I thought it was probably lacking, especially compared to the X-Wing books. But uh, for me, the strength was the way it dealt with the broader themes, if not the individual character interactions. But that's mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, oh, I just edited yours. Um, but... Uh... Yeah, no, I, I feel like... Um... Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's tough too because like when we go through them, we're definitely going to need to be talking. Like I, I think before we do, we should give a brief like minute or so recap of every book. Yeah. Um, so we've got to reread every book before that episode, right? <laughs> just to be yeah. fair. Yeah, just to be fair. Um. Yeah, I th- I think w- like when we get to the new uh, the new rebellion, that's going to be a a real low one for me. I think. Um. You know, I'm probably going to put it right above Ice Rod's Revenge too. I don't think I liked it more than Han Solo Adventures. Um, but I don't know. If I could make it tied with Ice Rod's Revenge, I could. I guess I'll put it right above. Yeah, because for me, the, the double Ice Rod's was... Like, I, I enjoyed yeah. that book as well, but it the the villain there was... And the levity is kind of nice. Like, yeah. um, different tone and stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah, it does drag a bit at the start off of that squadron, but uh, once you start getting actually into it, I think there's a lot to like there. So mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't given it a chance, if you're looking to get into maybe some of the canon books, uh, yeah. I'd say I'd still say that the first Thrawn book is probably the best one to get into that I've read so far. I'd say uh, Lost, maybe Lost Stars. stars. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'll, I don't think Alphabet Squadron would be a, a bad place again, but you probably will need to make an effort to get through the first few chapters. Yeah, audiobook is a good option too. It's like 14 hours long, I think. Um mm-hmm. and the production quality is good. The narrator she is very kind of breathy, which sort of exaggerates some of the issues that I was complaining about earlier, but if you can get past that. Um yeah. Yeah, so I guess since this is going to be the last time we have this list open before uh before we trash the whole thing. Should we, we give wanna... it kisses? Well, I was going to say should we read it, but Maybe we yeah, should sure. just do Let's that read for it. the tier. Okay. Yep. So on our final episode of the actual direct book rankings before we go to tier lists, your rankings were first place, The Last Command, second is Darth Plagueis, third, Heir to the Empire, fourth, Dark Force Rising, fifth, Rogue Squadron, sixth, I Jedi, seventh, Mads, Med, Madstar, Medstar Battle Surgeons, then Back to War, Wedge's Gamble, Jedi Healer, Iron Fist, Wraith Squad, Ray T Squadron, Jedi <laughs> Search, Court Super Princess Leia, Han Solo Adventures, Alphabet Squadron, Ice Arge Revenge, Dark Apprentice, Solo Command, Trusa Bakura, Champions of the Force, and Krytos Trap. Which overall, not too far off for mine. We tended to get no, stuff we're, we're in very close. Uh, kind of the same tier at least. Uh, Wraith Squadron's a little bit off for both of us. Courtship, I think, is the big difference. Yeah, you have that much higher than or like three spots higher than I enjoyed I the fantasy. Uh, stylings of that book yeah uh so mine goes last command plagueis heir to the empire dark force rising so so far exactly the same yep. then i had med star battle surgeons where you had rogue squadron then i had iron fist wraith squadron i jedi jedi healer back to war rogue squadron han solo adventures solo command wedges gamble alphabet squadron i sarge revenge jedi search courtship dark apprentice truce of bakura kratos trap and the only book i didn't like champions of the force 
Maybe we should uh, have Charlie on when he finishes his read of uh, Heir to the uh, Heir to the Empire. That could be a, a topical episode. Yeah. Talking Star Wars with a new fan. Yeah. So should we do a couple of email questions, you think? Or sure. do you want to save that? Okay. Let's just... Uh, maybe skip. There was one or two about the Clone Wars stuff, and I think we should bring that up uh yeah. next week when we're doing we'll talk about that with general. tv stuff do we have any yeah i think we just got a couple of emails let me just open it up real quick um just, uh, open her up there so... quick there bud <laughs> um so jacob says he just finished the audiobook um he wanted more of an x-wing series style of space combat and writing um one question he had was what sort of stuff would you have liked alphabet squadron novels to take from the x-wing novels is there anything you would have liked an X-Wing series to take from Alphabet Squadron if a new one was written today? P.S. I counted three sardonically, so I was counting those as well. Hmm. Um, and he also found annoying how many times you had to hear this was their story. Um, what about you? Anything that you would like to take from X-Wing into this? Uh, no, I think... If the book was trying too hard to be like X-Wing, I probably would have liked it less. Like, There's some clear points where it's taking it from and it's clearly going to be kind of along the same lines but i like that it had an idea of what it wanted to be as its own thing and it tried to execute on that mm. and i feel like if you just have it be someone else's attempt to remake x-wing then just go mm. read x-wing and it would be it would have been worse for it so i'm happy with what we got here uh like I do prefer some of the space combat in X-Wing, so if you want to take it kind of like superficially, then maybe that. Yeah. But I like... I like the scale of X-Wing. Yeah. I hope we get that in at least one book. That's pretty much all for me. Yeah. They're very different books. Um, that kind of ties in really well to Austin's very thoughtful email he sent us. Um, Austin said, Hope today's episode was plenty cozy. I would say it is. I listened to Alphabet Squadron recently. Um... I thought some of it, the most interesting material to me personally was the hint at Erica's PTSD and repressed attraction towards at least one of her female squad mates. Um, I hope we see something like Erica finally breaking down and letting her squad mates in. It definitely felt to me like this book was pushing her character that direction. Without overworked and isolated, she seemed... I think we'd both agree with that. Um, it also seemed to me that there was a lot of heavy emotional work being done overtly and covertly. It felt different than a lot of Star Wars books. Did you pick up on those feelings or is it just me? Um, what are you most interested in the sequel? I agree that there was a lot of emotional work being done. And, and I guess that is maybe one of the things that threw me off at first, maybe. Um, and I didn't think it was executed well at the beginning. Um, but what, what do you think about that comment? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I agree with the early execution being weaker because you're still getting a sense of the characters. And I think that's a mm -hmm. side effect of kind of what we were talking about, where the dialogue uh, mm -hmm. isn't as strong in terms of giving the characters their own sense of who they are, where you, yeah. what you learn about the characters often does come from someone, whether it be the narrator or the characters themselves explicitly saying, I am like this. Uh, so it, it kind of stumbles through it earlier on, but as you get a better sense for who the characters are, I think that gets a lot more solid and uh, you do get... Kind oh, definite sorry. PTSD, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, I lost you for a second. I, I think it straight up mentions that Erica had a girlfriend at one point, I believe, because yeah, it was um, her last boyfriend, her first girlfriend, mm -hmm. uh, and 
I think there was the, it talking about like sleeping with her commanding officer yeah. at some point. Yeah, for like just for comfort after the. Yeah. I do like the idea that just basically the shit after before and after Endor was just a mess for the Empire. Um, there yeah, Will places. Lark is also said to kiss Sonagari, I think, who was a, I believe, a guy. Um, so nice that there are gay people in Star Wars now. <laughs> there was a few or places bike. where uh, there was stuff that could have been taken to mean people were having sex, but it wasn't explicit, where, like, slept in her bed. Uh, yeah. I felt was closer to being an explicit thing about, like, yes, they had sex. But then it was, like, towards the end with Chas and Will where uh, Chas was thinking, where they're like dancing together and there was something about like just for tonight or whatever. Where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, is that implying that they went and spent the night together? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt like that was kind of thing where it was like, oh, you're trying to imply something? I'm not sure. Yeah. But Speaking of implying, did you ever think that um, Kairos was a burnt Wookiee or is that just me? Uh, I, she was I'm, not a, I'm not a burnt Wookiee conspiracy <laughs> supporter. But you you broke me down on the Winter Akbar thing. I didn't trust <laughs> you on that, so I am willing to. I mean, to I don't have get a lot for this. I, like, I, she's not because it kind of lays it <laughs> out later. Ba- but basic. But she, she, like, my thought was okay. Like, a, a Wookiee would obviously have some sort of um, stake against the Empire. She uses a bowcaster. Um, she's covered in like bandages and she's very strong. Um, so I thought she was maybe like a Wookiee who had been in a prison camp or something, but mm. it seems pretty clear she's not. No, she's, she's probably human. I <laughs> think she's a human. I think she's some sort of alien. I, I'm not sure, but I don't know. I, she's speaking basic. Yeah. So she's not a Wookiee. Yeah. Well, there was that one Wookiee in the... Thrawn trilogy you spoke basic. That was his she's not speech. A he, she's, yeah, I, like, I, I, I don't want to crush this dream for you, but I, I don't think she's a Wookiee. And it, it hurts no, me to I have to No, I don't anymore, you. Corey. Listen nope, to me. Listen. Ek. Close your mouth. Zip it. Heck. Look, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, I just... I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, shut up. All right, next uh, question. Do we did we get more emails? Let me see. Uh, there were a few before then. Oh, we got uh, one from um, Emma Wilson. Hello, <laughs> I am a representative of Vest Company. We would like to introduce you to our Vest Antivirus, and it says it all. <laughs> Vest anti- Antivirus is op- optimized to work on any PC. It will help you to optimize your PC, detect malware, and that's not all that our antivirus has. <laughs> we offer to advertise pre-roll or advertising integration in the same way we can consider your advertising options. Write the number of your WhatsApp. We will contact you and continue to discuss your advertising. All right, well, there's your ad plug, so send us money. Yeah, product still has not paid up. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't like that we're from... just reading the ad copy now. <laughs> like, we're doing it ironically as a joke, but at this point, we're literally just doing an ad plug for them. Yeah, for that's free. almost certainly spyware. Do not download that. <laughs> Um, Byron also um, emailed us to tell us that he is mentally sick and that Children of the Jedi is one of his favorite Star Wars books. <laughs> I'm just joking, Byron. We might enjoy it. Uh, he also loves Darksabers 
Um, I'll try to read it before you guys get to it. If it weren't for playing of Twilight the Cholesterol Trilogy, it might be my favorite New Republic story. Interesting. Um, yeah, I haven't read it in a couple of years, so I'm curious to get to that. Um, Calvin also asked us, which do you like better, the canon or the Legends New Republic sigil? So basically the Starburst or the, uh, the kind of rebel symbols with stars around it. Do you have a preference? I, I like the old one, but I like the color scheme, the yellow and blue of the new New Republic stuff. I like the color scheme of the original better, but I like the actual new one. I think that one's a kind of cleaner design uh, and it's easier to put on things. So just functionally, I think it's a better logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has the little I, stars. I I'd, so this is almost purely coming from the perspective of someone who has to put it onto texture sheets with limited resolution. Yeah, <laughs> so you lose a lot of stars detail, turn right? into a little like white dot at best. Yeah. But Yeah. So I th I think um, that's just a just objectively a better one. <laughs> yeah, I mean you do lose like there's a lot of shitty legends logos. Like in my opinion the uh the Chiss ascendancy logo is ass. Yeah. And they brought that over to canon. Well, um, without the weird of, colors. Did you, did you read the new Thrawn excerpt from the new book? No, not yet, because I was thinking uh, this book would take a lot longer to read than it did. And then I just... Maybe we'll talk about that next episode then. Um, I think the last email we got is from... We got a couple, I think, while we were recording last time. Uh, um, yeah, there's the email here from Dan... I'll let you cover the rest of them. Okay. Dad's uh, feeling lazy. Uh, I think that's all the question ones. And then there were a couple, um, a couple Clone Wars ones. So if we missed anything. Uh, from this one, I'll go back through those emails and see if there were any questions we missed, and then we can talk about them on the next episode because that'll probably be a, a yeah. shorter episode uh, in general, even yeah, if we, we do get a few a more between them. Right now, so. But uh, but yeah, so because we do have a stream scheduled in like ten minutes, so yeah. All uh, right, guys, we're gonna end it at that, I guess. Thank you as always for joining us on this lovely episode of Tapcalf Transmissions. Just a reminder, we will be streaming some Halo 3, the greatest video game of all time. Would you agree with that, Corey? I don't want to, but I think I have to. The greatest video game of all time. Not that I don't like it, obviously. Just that I, I don't want to be put in a put on the spot like that. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, good night for me, guys. Have a good one. And make sure to email us any questions, suggestions, thoughts, feelings, Secret love interests to tapcaptransmissions at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to watch this live, you can subscribe to Corey's Datapad or Eckhart's Ladder over on YouTube. If you're on YouTube and you'd want like to listen to this in podcast form, there will be links down in the description. Um, and yeah. You can find it Tap on Spotify, Podbean. Uh, Everywhere good podcasts Apple are podcasts. sold. Uh, oh, shit. This is the only Star Wars podcast. We forgot to mention that yes, this time. Yes, 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 the only one. Uh, don't look for other ones. They don't exist. And if they do, they're infringing our copyright. Mm -hmm. They're not infringing and our copyright. And if you want to read the next book for the book club, get started on Alphabet Squadron. You can listen to them on Audible or pick up a book from your library if your library hasn't been overrun um, due to the plague we're currently experiencing. Or you can find it online, I'm sure. Yeah. 
Epic. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye.